by podcast. I want to make you aware that throughout the week, Courtney is here to administrate any phone calls or any requests, any things that you need. We, we enjoy serving you. We enjoy all the comments we're getting concerning the podcast. We are just a few days away from going, uh, what, are, what are we doing, Austin? We're going live, live wire, live web. So we're going to webcast from this, from this place to uh, many of, have asked us to do that. And we are in the process of doing that. But if you've got your Bible turned to, to 1 Samuel, look at Pastor Hank just for a minute. And if you have been watching the news the past couple days, I'm sure that you've been noticing that there are things being declared about earthquakes coming to California. I mean, it's been prophesied for years and years. There's a fault line there. And that there's going to be a great earthquake, and California's going to fall off in the ocean. I think what's going to happen is going to be a great earthquake, and the rest of the nation is going to fall off in the ocean, and only California is going to survive. But the only reason I believe that naturally is because I am from California. But I received a real cool phone call last week that got me to thinking, got me to pursuing uh, some thoughts and ideas. If you're taking notes today, I encourage you to get a piece of paper and a pen. I want to impart some things with you. I want to leave some things with you. I want to share what the Word of God has to say about the thought of pursuing, overtaking, and recovering. Say that with me. Pursuing, pursuing. overtaking, overtaking. and recovering. recovering. We know the enemy comes to steal. We know the enemy will come on our property. He'll break into our houses and come through whatever openings in there. He will steal all that God has blessed us with. The Word of God says that when the enemy comes in to steal, we are to bind the enemy. In other words, acknowledge the fact that, yes, we are at war. Yes, there is a spiritual war taking place where the enemy is trying to take us out, kill our praise and worship, kill all of our fruit, all of our blessing. We identify that we kick down his door. Come on. We kick down his door, and we go to where he has stolen stuff from us. I'm talking to every mom that's believing a prodigal child to come home. I'm talking to every, every wife that's believing God to turn things around in her husband. I'm, I'm talking to a, a financial family that's asking God to bless the seeds. We are going to take back what the enemy has stolen. We're going to identify with the fact that he's stolen it and why he has stolen it. Daniel 7:25 tells us the, the main purpose, the main thrust of the enemy in the last days. Talk to me. Does anybody remember what it is? To wear out the saints of the most high God, to frustrate you, to depress you, to discourage you, to distract you, to deter you, to debt you, every possible thing that he can. Those are some of the ways that he works. In the past several weeks, we've been talking about how to overcome debt. We've been talking about how to overcome depression, how to overcome doubt, how to overcome fear. That's been the thought and the theme of this pulpit for the past several weeks because we believe that for such a time as this, God has placed us where we are, and we're going to do what we need to do. Someone say, Praise the Lord with me in this house. If you will acknowledge the fact that there's a lot of things that line up with Scripture, there's a lot of things that line up with the Kronos time of God, you'll understand that special days, special things happen. Can anybody relate? First of all, on the day that you were born, the angels got together and decided to create a dream called true. How many look, wave at me and say, that was me, Pastor, when I, the day I was born. I, I am all that in a bag of chips. Come on. I'm, I'm all that in the bag of chips. But if, but if you will remember 911, that there was a tragic day that touched America, changed us, we will never go back to the way we were before. There's such an awareness, there's such a, a, a focus right now on the fact that 
we can be attacked, we can be hurt, we can be armed. And when George Bush turned our nation to prayer and we began to pray, it seemed like there was a, a balance for a season while we were struggling trying to find the will, the purpose, and the protection of God. But like what happened to Israel time after time, when God came and delivered and brought the blessing, they started worshiping the blessing more than they worshiped the blesser. And we've got to a place where right now stuff, toys, weekend, there's nothing wrong with vacations. We've got several families gone this week, spring break. I intend to, to be gone a couple of days. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you worship the gift more than you worship the giver, we get to a place where we become fat, we become lazy, and we lose our joy. We lose our impact. We lose our thrust. We lose our... Uh, there, there was a time when if you were to announce there was a citywide prayer meeting, there would not be a building in this city that could accommodate. But it's like, it's like through the years, it's like we've become so blessed and so, so pet, so comfortable. But there are some things that are getting ready to happen. I believe it's going to rock our world. As we look at the number 11, as we look at the number 11, go with me to Genesis, if you will. Put your plates there in 1 Samuel and go with me to Genesis. And I said, Lord, what are you, what are you trying to share or what are you trying to show the church body? I got a phone call from a ministry friend that made me aware of something that's taking place right now. And Wednesday night, I ask everybody to join me. Listen, if you're not coming on Wednesday nights, you're missing it. Amen. Help me. Amen. You're missing it. That's our, that's our Sunday school, and that's our hour of power. And I believe we're getting ready to podcast that also. But you can get the notes. You can get caught up. You, you can stay with it every week. You don't have to worry about missing a couple of weeks. But what was the point I was making? Wednesday night, I asked everyone to do something with me, and I'd like to ask you to do with this with me right now. If you will reflect just for a moment the year you were born, the last two numbers, mine would be 54, and how old you're going to be this year. If you take the last two numbers and how old you're going to be this year, if you will add it up, is everyone in the house coming up with 111? You do the math. How many, it does not add up. Wednesday night, we had someone, it did not add up. And so we attempted to sort it out and come to find out she was only 52, not 53. So adding this up, you might find that you're a year younger than you thought you were. You say, well, Pastor, what is the significance of the number 11? Go with me just for a minute. The earthquake of Haiti happened on the 11th. The earthquake, the tsunami of Japan happened on the 11th. I went to the archives of history. There are about 20 major tragedies in the world that took place on the 11th. What does that mean? I believe that where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. It's so easy to look at all the negative taking place and how we respond to the negative. But what about all the good things that God has promised and God has provided? Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that in the house. Notice, if you will, I said, well, Lord, if this is, if this is spiritual, then it's got to line up with the word. And, and, and the Lord said, okay, I want you to go to, and I feel like it was the Lord telling me to go to, and I've not heard this. This is not a tape. This is not something I got on, uh, on CNN. This is something I think the Lord gave me this week. Go with me to Genesis, the first chapter, and the 11th verse. And there you will find everything that we've ever believed in, everything we've ever stood for, everything this pulpit has ever promoted is in that scripture. The number one thing that we know in this house is what you sow is what you're going to reap. And we also know that a, that a tree that bears fruit is a tree that is healthy in the kingdom. 
The word says that a bitter tree should not put forth fruit, sweet fruit, and a sweet tree should not put forth bitter fruit. But there's some confusion in the body of Christ in the last days as we look at the journey of the Exodus, how when God brought them out of bondage into, into a land of provision, all they did was complain. All they did was gripe. All they did was fuss about all the bad stuff going on for them. And I think today that we are a generation that if we're not careful, we'll neglect the good and focus on the bad. I went by yesterday. Um, I thought I was losing my hearing. And good news, I'm not losing my hearing. My, my cell phone is bad. And they're sending me a new droid overnight. So it, if those of you have, have called me or if I've called you and, and I can't hear you, it wasn't me. I feel a lot better about that. But I went to a business that had been very good about supporting us, and I just stopped to visit. And the, the, the co-owner of the business was telling me that there was a, a friend that she went and had a baby shower. She spent $400 and all the crudiments, all the condiments, all the things go with it, and went to Kentucky to have the baby shower. And on the way back, this, this friend and her husband rode back with them, and all this girl did all the way home was griped about the gifts she didn't get, who wasn't there, what she didn't have, the things that she needed. And, and at, at the end of the day, when I ran to my friend, I said, well, I said, well what'd you learn? What'd you learn? We are a generation that is so spoiled from the cradle to the grave. Listen, even the coffin's all about us. Everything about life is all about us. Burger King said it so well. Have it your way. But you know what? Sometimes it needs to be God's way. Sometimes there's the things that God requires and God desires of us. And number one, he requires of you to be accountable with where you sow, what you sow, how you sow, when you sow. And he wants you to be accountable with the expectation. Watch this big word expectation of results over your seed you heard me tell the story about when i lived with my grandfather i took a handful of maui wowie seeds and threw them out never thought i'd get to plant them my grandfather the next day goes and digs up the, the backyard puts a garden here comes lettuce here comes radishes here comes okra and all of a sudden all over the garden these these plants begin to appear we knew exactly what they were and in my heart of hearts i believe that somehow my grandfather did also there were about five of us cousins that smoked pot. We kept going to Grandpa's house, watching that crop. He was watering it for us. He was weeding it. He was fertilizing it. And I, I promise you, on the day before we had planned to go in there and pull up all those plants, my grandfather stops the Orange County Police Department sheriff and says, would you come see what's in my... And that sheriff pulled all those plants. And if I knew then what I knew now, I would say that sheriff enjoyed my harvest. I planted the seed and somebody else got it. But there's got to be an expectation of faithfulness. I've counseled some families this week that are going through tough times. I said, listen, there are areas that you sow that you've never gone back to reap. There's things that you've done that you've not, you've not gone back to collect. And God knows those and God is faithful. And listen, here's what the word of God says. I'm going to let you reap where you haven't even sowed. That's the promise to the last day believer. Listen, if you get in the cloud and you get with the crowd and you get with the congregation and you get with the core, however level you want to be involved in the church, when it rains, it rains on everybody. And when blessings come, blessings come to everybody. Look at someone and say, praise God. That's a good word for you right now. That 911, so that we're not going to allow the, the hurt and the pain of what has happened on the 11th to a phase us, but we are going to realize and understand in Genesis 1:11 that God wants to bless us. Here's what the enemy wants to do. The tree that's that planted, he wants to pluck up. He wants to destroy your foundation, your roots. He wants to destroy your covering, your bark. He wants to destroy your leaf and your seed and, and your fruit. He wants to destroy that. 
Psalm 101 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth away the sitter, nor sitteth and seeth the scornful, but his delight is in the word of the Lord, and in his light word does he delight all the days of his life. He shall be, watch this, like a tree planted by the rivers, he shall bring forth his fruit in his season, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So here the Lord is prophetically declaring to you today that you are a tree. You are the trees of his planting. Isaiah says you're the trees of his righteousness. Psalm says you're the trees of joy, that God has made you a tree in the kingdom. When the blind man was healed, how many remember the story? Jesus took the dirt, the clay of the earth, and spit the DNA of God, and he made a, he made a, a, a polis, and he wiped it on his eyes. And then when the, when the young man washed his eyes, what was the first thing he saw? Men walking about in the form of trees. He saw spiritual before he saw physical. We are trees, and we are not weeping willow trees. The one tree of nature that refuses to worship God. We are not to be droopy and snoopy and sloopy and scoopy and scooby-dooby-doo and all those things that are attached to that. But we are to have our, our, our arms planted towards the sun of righteousness with healing in his wing. You watch a weed, a weed will grow towards the sun. A vine will grow towards the sun. In your house, whatever window of your house that promotes sunlight, that, that, that plant will try to grow that way. Our chihuahua, every day we come home, he finds a spot. Every time the sun shifts, he finds a spot. And there, when we come, that, he'll be laying there in the sun. There's something about fearing the name of the Lord. For unto you that fear my name shall the sun of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth as fatted calves out of the stall. Listen, I believe that we've been fed. I believe we've been fattened. I believe we've been blessed. I believe it's time now to pay forward. I believe now it's time to get involved in some of the gifts and fruits and talents that we have. You're always going to be able to journal a list of things you don't like, always. But why not focus every once in a while on some of the things you do have and what God wants for you? I think about that tree. An eagle will not build a nest unless the tree is planted close by water. A tree that the roots go way down deep in the ground. When I was 15, 16 years, and most of you know the story that when I was a child, I worked like a man. When I was 13, I had about 20 lawns I mowed. I had my mower, my edger, my rake, my broom, and I went from house to house. And I made, and some lawns I only charged, this would have been in 1968, some lawns I only charged a dollar. I mean, that's, so you had to mow a lot of lawns, but of course you could buy a pack of cigarettes for a quarter. So it all kind of worked out uh, pretty good. <laughs> And a gallon of gas. I won't, even, I won't tell that story. I'll, I'll keep that story. But I worked, I worked for a guy. His name was J.D. Isaacs. And yes, he was, he was Jewish. And he owned a tree trimming uh, company. And in California, we have palm trees. If you don't think about palm trees, when the, when the branches die, they fall straight down. And you've got to trim them. They're very sharp. They're very dangerous. Very precarious. And on many occasions, we would have the bid where not only were we to cut the tree down, but we were to remove the trunk. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to dig a tree up in your life, especially a tree that's been planted a while. Let me tell you the process. The process, you take a flat shovel, a round shovel, and, and a hoe, and a pick, and an axe, and you begin to hack and whack and dig and hack and whack and dig. You expose a root, you cut it, you dig that root out. You expose another root, you cut it, you dig it out. Well, my friend who was in the business to make money, he decided the quicker we get this stump out of the ground, the quicker we can go to another job. So his idea, he had an old 65 Chevy truck. We called it Bertha because it was, it was big and it was bad to the bone. It had a granny gear all the way up. And I mean, I mean, you could probably climb the Mount Everest with this truck. And being 15 years old, he thought it was cool that I drove the truck. 
And so what we would do, we would back Bertha up to the trunk, and then he would manipulate a chain the best he could around that trunk. He'd give him about 15 feet of play, and he'd say, okay, Hank, hit it. I'd put that truck in that granny gear, and I'd let that clutch out, and I'd get to going about three miles an hour, and all of a sudden I'd hit the end of that chain, I'd jerk back like that, and everything off the dash would fall on the floor, the, the doorknob would fall off. I'd go, we got we got a cut on it. So we'd get out of the truck, go back, hack, dig, I mean, I mean, I mean, it was so frustrating. It was such a, it was such a hassle, but only tenacity brought that trunk out of the ground. And I remember one particular time when we were, it, it, was, it was hot, we were sweaty, we were tired, we wanted to go home, we worked all day Saturday, and I got paid $5, and I got paid men's wages in that job because I worked like a man. And so he said, he gave me, he gave me a little bit more slack. He said, okay, Hank, I'm going to give you 20 feet. Go ahead and, go ahead and get on it. Well, you don't tell a 15-year-old kid that doesn't know how to drive that's still in puberty uh, to get on it. I put that truck up there in gear. I popped that clutch. That whole thing rose up and went straight, hit the end of that chain. The chain breaks, comes all the way around the truck, all the way, breaks the windshield, comes out next to me. There's glass all over me. And I, and I thought, my boss is not going to be pleased about this. And sure enough, we went and tied up another chain, and we hacked and whacked. And there was a, there was a sense of, of something happened when we pulled that, that trunk out of the ground. It was a, it was a you know, when we, put, we, we hit it and we drug it a few feet, there was, some, there was a sense of accomplishment about that. Listen, as the accuser of the brethren, when he pulls your root out of the ground and he cuts you off at the ground, he steals all your seed and all your fruit. He's excited about it. And he goes to God as the accuser of the brethren and brags about it. Listen, you are not a tree that's supposed to be cut off at the ground. You're not a tree that's supposed to be dug up. But right now, the enemy is trying to wear you out. He's got that chainsaw trying to cut your covering, trying to cut your fruit, trying to cut your marriage, trying to, trying to cut everything about. And if he can get you leveled, he's going to put a chain around you because he's the God of bondage. And he's going to take that axe and that hoe and he's going to whack at all the roots of your foundation. Everything you believe the Bible to say, everything you believe the Bible to do, all the things that God has done for you in the past. When Jehoshaphat went to war, he began to remind, early, they got up early in the morning, they began to praise, they began to worship, and the Jehoshaphat asked God seven questions, reminding God of what he had done in the past. Well, God, did you not bring us out of the land of Egypt and feed us? And God, did you not? And so he, all those questions, God had to say, yes, yes, that's exactly what I did. And a lot of times when you feel the enemy trying to eat at you and wear at you and depress you and discourage you, you begin to ask God questions that have to begin. And, and yes, God, didn't you say that no weapon formed against me should prosper? God, didn't you say that you supply all my need according to your rich and glory? God, did you not say that greater is he that is in me than he that, well, those are all yes answers. And then you simply say, God, I need you. When Samson was tied to the pillars of, that, of, that, of that, that auditorium, he said, let me feel your power one more time. Some of us are a place where we're wore out, we're wore down. We desperately need to feel the tingle of the Holy Ghost. We desperately feel that rush, that buzz that comes to our spirit when we know that God is in control and we see God moving. Some of us, need a, we need, you don't just need a tune-up. You need an oil change, your battery checked, your lights adjusted, your tires replaced. I mean, you pretty much need an overhaul. You need the whole, the whole nine yards. But you know what? This is a season in your life that if you make a baby step and decide that you're going to make it happen one step at a time. Look at somebody say one step, one step at a time. This morning, and you, you've got to understand that in the 70s, I saw about every rock show there was to see. I've seen Emerson Lake and Palmer. I've seen the Eagles. I've seen Black Sabbath, Black, Black Oak, Arkansas. I've seen Deep Purple. I've seen ZZ Top. I've seen the Beach Boys. 
at all the concerts I've been to, I was at Edgar Winter, uh, help me, Edgar Winter and uh, not Joe English, but Rick Derringer. I was there when they did live versions of Back of Road. I was there when Rick Der- when Edgar Winter would go, Today, I heard some of the finest guitar picking I've heard in all my years at a concert. But if you were to ask Chris Vernon a question, did that happen in a minute? Did that happen in a day? That happened in a week? Kids come and say, Pastor, I want to learn how to play the guitar. Well, it's, it's, a, life, it's a life choice. To, to tap into music, to learn how to read music like another language, it's a whole other world. It doesn't happen in a day or a week or a month or a year. I'm going to put him on the spot, but I would probably tell you that he still practices today just as much as he practiced when he first started. Of course, he left the building. I guess he's we're going to sign autographs or something. Came back there to sign autographs. So, so what you're wanting from God will come. You've got to give it some time. Are, are you with me so far? Okay, if you're, if you're at 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, this is, this is probably literally one of the most interesting chapters in the Bible. And there are so many ways that you can diagnostically take this chapter apart. It's like the book of Daniel. Every verse is a nugget. But most of you are aware of the, of the, of the, of the story of David. And I want to talk about, just a minute, the ability to pursue the ability to overtake, and the ability to recover all. Because there's three different entities there, three different priorities. First of all, you need to get mad enough. You need to get stirred up enough. You need to get frustrated enough. You need to get anxiety enough to realize that you have been robbed and you're living on the lower end rather than the higher end. He said, you're the head, not the tail. You will loan and not borrow but we're maxed out on our credit cards. The phone's ringing. Everybody wants money. They're sending a certified letter trying to get their $40 and 21 tw- Come on. And, and you're, you're literally living in an area that you feel so frustrated. And when you get to that place where you're so frustrated, then you need to remember the words of the prodigal son. In his 911, he said, eat when he pig slop all the junk, lost all this money, lost everything. He said, even the servants of my father eat better than this. I'm going to go get a job and I'm going to turn things around in my life. First of all, you need to focus on the fact that you're frustrated. Second of all, you've got to focus on the fact that you've got to get out of the nest. You've got to get out of the lane. You've got to get out of the gate. You've got to get off that, off those, 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 those racers footsteps and you, and you got to go. You got to go forward in the area of your victory. And in the area of pursuing, once you pursue, you make up your mind, I am not going to pursue until I catch. Right. I love the story that, that Keith Dudley told. And, I, and I, won't, I won't tell you stole that from me, but he was with me on the day the dog chased us. That dog was running, barking. I mean, he was on it. I just stopped in the middle of the road. Dog comes skidding up to stop, looked over me like, well, you're not playing fair. You're supposed to run. You're supposed to run. I'm supposed to chase. What's this all about? Port, I felt so sorry for the dog. Turned around, walked back, and got on the porch. When you start this pursuit, you can't stop until you catch what you're chasing. Let me say that again. You want a better marriage? You want a better ministry? A better relationship? A better job? A better anointing? A better awareness of what's going on? A better ability to get along with, with people? Once you pursue that journey, you don't stop. Paul said, I press towards the mark of the prize. The, the, the scripture we'll share later, 2 Timothy 4, says, I have now 
finished the race. I've, st- I've, I've done with the course. There's a crown of righteousness waiting for me. I'm going to, I've endured. I'm going down the promised land and I'm going to receive of God. So Paul didn't just start the race. They that run the race with patience, he finished the race. So make it remind when you, when you begin this journey, you're going to complete it. I'm, I'm going to walk some steps and, sh- and help you walk through this. But in a pastor, Ryan, and we're talking last morning, last night, this morning about some of the nine one ones in the lives of ministry. And I think probably one of the most serious guys in life that we, that we love, the Bible said David had a heart after God. The Bible says that David was, could go beyond the veil and go in the holy of holies, what only the priest could do, that God favored David. But we know David had a lot of bad stuff. He had a lot of 911 days in his life. As a kid, he was thrown out to pasture with all the sheep, and his dad didn't even remember him when the man of God came to anoint the brothers. As, as, as a child, he got ridiculed by his brothers because he wanted to help defeat Goliath. As, as, as a defeater of Goliath, he didn't get the king's number one daughter. He got the king's number two daughter. He didn't get one third of the kingdom. He got chased for 13 years, found himself in a pit, found himself surrounded by a bunch of losers. God come to where he's at and said, David, what, what are you doing? Oh, these losers have made me captain. I'm captain of 400 losers. And the man of God says, get out of the cave and go and take these men and turn them into warriors. And we've, we've told you about the mighty men of God. One man put a jawbone of a mule's hand and killed a thousand. We talked about another that, that, that defeated the giant that had six fingers. We talked about the, the, uh, Adonai Bezik who went and chased a lion a snowy day, fell in a pit and came out victorious. He raised up some bad to the bone warriors. But in raising all of that up, he sent his captain to, to tell Uzziah to go to the front line so Uzziah could be murdered because of adultery. He had a baby conceived in adultery and lost that child. He had his son try to take away the kingdom. He had another son that raped his sister and one son murdered that brother. I mean, he had a lot of 911 days in his life. Amen. Amen. But I think the day of days, the, the 911 in David's life is found in 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and had smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. And they had taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So when David's men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and with their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. This is a 911 day. And David, two wives were taken captives, Anahanim the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. David will call for the priest to come with the ephod. Most of you know I've I've taught you the story of the the garment of the high priest, the six stones that represent the different tribes, the the Urim and the Thummim, which is a green stone and a red stone. When David asked God a question, if the answer was no, the red stone would light up. If the answer was yes, the right the, the, the green stone would light up. That's where we get red, a uh, green light, and our, our stop signs. I don't know if you're aware of that. That's where green and red comes from. And then whatever tribe that went forth into battle, that stone would light up. The, the stone said, send Judah first in one battle. So David inquires of God, goes, goes, goes to the house of God, hears from God, and God, and God says this. What, notice, if you will, in verse 8. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, 
Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Watch, watch the direction of his, of his decisions. David has two wives, has several children. He is the king of this, of this city. He is off doing the work of the Lord. Look at somebody and say, off doing the work of the Lord. Listen, sometimes while the clay is in the hands of the potter, the clay squirms loose and falls to the ground. And the potter picks the clay up and says, I'm going to make this an even more comely vessel. Those of you who just skate through life, not a care in the world, there's not a whole lot of tragedies that you will help people walk through. But those of you that have been beat up and banged up and hassled and tossed and bankrupt and divorced and discouraged and on debt and drugs and all of that, when God brings you out, I said when God brings you out, then you're going to bring others out. The same anointing that's attached to you, God's going to allow you to walk in it, and you'll be able to relate to the drug addict, be able to relate to the, relate to the wife that is, that, is, that is frustrated in her marriage. So David asked the Lord, I mean, David was a warrior at heart. David knew something had been taken from him. There's the observation. We have been robbed. Shall I go after him? And watch his intention. I'm going to catch him. I'm not like a, I'm not like a boxer that, 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 boxes, that, that shadow boxes. I'm not a cloud that's all puffed up that has no water. I'm a man or a woman of action. Yes. I, I know how to get things accomplished. I know how to pursue things. I've, I've done things before. Whether it was drugs, I could find it at 3 o'clock in the morning. Come on now. If it was a date, I could find it at the bar. I mean, nothing really has ever stopped me. There's an aggressiveness to me. We just need to channel your energy in a different direction. David said, shall I pursue and shall I overtake? Watch this. And he, God, answered him saying... Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Watch this, what God says. Pursue them, catch them, and without any shadow of a doubt, you will succeed. 99 and two-thirds points indeed. You will accomplish what you're wanting to accomplish. If you'll notice that David had 600 warriors, 200 of them, very important, intercessors, very important, 200 of them were too discouraged, too depressed, too overwhelmed. Okay, go with me. Go with me for a minute. You go to work, earning a living for your family. You come home to find your house and everything in it, all the memories, all the pictures, all the toys is burnt to the ground and nowhere to be found is your wife and your children. And you've been told that they have been kidnapped. What's... what's What's going, to be, what's going to be your reaction? So don't ever judge somebody the storm they're going through. Don't ever tell a de depressed person, well, you just need to get over it. I want to slap people that say stuff like that. Right. People going through divorce. You just need to go, you just need to go on through your life. Don't, don't you say that around me because there's a reaction comes out and it's called the backhand. You don't have a clue what that person's going through. You don't have a clue what, what pain and suffering. Can you imagine David? David comes. So when David gets a plan from God of the 600, 400 go forth. 200, the Bible says, stays behind. They're too, dis they're too discouraged. They're too overwhelmed. Notice the next verse. But David, David pursued. Go with me to verse 17. David catches them. David smote them from the twilight, even in the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his wife. There was nothing lacking to them. If you, if you think about this just for a minute, Tiffany, when they went to battle, they had no banks. 
They had no safes. There was no strongholds. There was nothing they could lock their stuff. So when you went to battle, you took your stuff with you. You took your diamond necklace with you. You took your pearl earrings. You took your valuable sword. You took everything that was of any value. You took it with you to the battlefield. There was, no place, there was no safe place. And here, not only did David recover everything. Look at somebody say everything. everything. The enemy stole from them. But he also recovered all of their stuff. Verse 19, there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before the other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. And I'm going to share a message entitled, The King's Cut. I just felt it in my spirit. The Bible says we're kings and priests. I'm working on that right now. I thought about the king's cut. But even though that David was the leader and they all wanted to kill him, they all wanted to stone him, they all, it was his fault. You're the leader. You led us here. We're under attack. They forgot all the blessings that God had provided up until that point. But now they want to stone him. And because David stood his ground and encouraged himself in the Lord. And how he encouraged himself in the Lord, I don't know. He might have started singing. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll walk with him all way. He leads me beside still waters. I'll walk. Who knows what David said? I mean, he, he's the one that said, blessed is the man. He could have encouraged himself in a hundred different ways. But somehow, David tapped into his devotion. Yeah. David tapped into what he was journaling about. David tapped into what was important to him. And David began to give all credit, all praise and worship to God. And then when he got himself encouraged and God gave him a plan, hey, ask me and I'll, I'll give you nations as inherited. Guess me, I'll give you stuff you never thought. David goes to God, gets direction. God does exactly what he says he will do. When they get all the spoils, the 400 men go back to the other 200 and guess what? David splits all the spoils with them. And there were some people that said, well, that's not fair. I've been here 20 years, bless God. I've been, never been asked to teach on, on Sunday. And somebody gets saved one month and you put them in the pulpit. That's not fair. Do you see that mindset? There's a mindset that doesn't matter how long you've been serving God. doesn't matter how long you've been clean. No matter if God wants to use you right then, he's going to use you right then. If God wants to promote you right then, he's going to promote you. doesn't change the fact that you're not going to be promoted. Come on, help me see this, if you will, just for a minute. The guys are with David said, why should they, why should they get their cut? They, they, they were too tired to go to battle. They, they didn't risk anything. They didn't lose anything. They didn't make the journey. They didn't take their sword and arrow and kill anybody. And David said, because they're with us. There's something about a corporate anointing. There's something about a corporate blessing. There's something about corporate favor. There's something about the favor of God that is attached to a congregation. And this is why in the last days, the enemy will do everything he can to keep us out of the house of God, assembling together, praying in the altars, worshiping, hearing the needs of one another, meeting the needs of one another, being accountable one to another, building one another up. There's something about all that team playing that God is into. And that's what the enemy tries to fight. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling. You know, pastoring 21 years, people stay home for the silliest reason. I mean, some of the reasons, I mean, I mean, and I understand there are legitimate. If you've got a, something that someone else is going to catch, don't come to, don't come, I understand that, don't come to church. But if just a little sniffle, you'd have gone to Walmart. Yeah. Well, it's 21 inches of, of snow and you didn't come to church. You're out at Walmart that afternoon. I wouldn't nod my head right now. I'd be very, I'd be very careful right here. Oh yeah, we go, we go, we go and, and chase snow and find it and play all day. But when it happens to snow or rain, we stay home because of what? There's a lion in the street. Yep. Like, well, I'm, not, I'm not going to work today. I'm going to get eaten. Somebody, listen, 
As most of you know, a few weeks ago, there was a threat on me and my family, and the Lord took care of that threat miraculously. I shared this story. But I got to thinking about threatening me. Don't ever threaten a guy that has put his crosshairs and o on over a hundred animals larger than him and has pulled the trigger and has watched them die and has gutted them and ate them. Be careful how you threaten me. Now, you can go threaten anybody you want, but be before, when my, when my dad and uncle went to town, my dad never drank. They went literally to fight. Saturday night, they went from Okima to Prague to Shawnee, and they would, they would pick out. They would pick out, okay, you, I can take you, and, 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 they, and, they, and they, they go after it. Well, my Uncle Dale was always a mouth. He's small like me and always ran his mouth. He would always bite off more than he can chew. And this wasn't just told by my, 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 my dad and my uncles, told by my great uncles told, told, told this story, is that my uncle would get himself in a predicament where he was getting his hiney kick. So not only did dad have to whip his guy, but then he had to go and whip Dale, Dale's guy. I know, but, but isn't that just like the God that we serve? And we take off, we talk off more than we can chew. He said, I'll, I'll stand behind you. I'll, if, you're, if you're brave enough to do the extraordinary, I'll bless the ex extraordinary. That's why Pastor Ron taught us, rethink the impossible. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God can do anything he wants to do. And I am living proof that God can take a burnout drug addict, change his life, heal his marriage, give him two beautiful daughters, let him touch the world and the nation. And I feel better today than I felt 31 years ago. Thank you, Lord. Now, what's going to scare you? I only have nine minutes to, to give you the word I felt like the Lord gave. But, you know, I was thinking a little bit about 911 moments. I believe I was there in Dean and Angela's life when they had a 911 moment. I was in Tommy and Billy's life when they had a 911 moment. When you're told somebody you love is dying, it's a 911 moment. I watched both those families call out to God. I preached both those funerals. And there was such a peace, such a peace that when the Bible talks about a peace that passeth all understanding, you can't relate to that until you need it. And when you get a bad report from a doctor, a bad report from a lawyer, or a bad report from the IRS, or, or a bad report from your husband, it, it's tough, it's easy sometimes to be overwhelmed by that. But Joshua said it so well, choose you this day who you will serve. I like the song that says, whose report, I believe that was also Joshua said that, whose report will you believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. So even in the word of God, you'll see people Back, bounce back and forth to a 911 moment. For a minute, reflect on maybe some of your 911 moments. I remember the day that we were told that Courtney had heart disease and she may not live. I remember that moment. I can tell you. I can tell you what I felt. I can tell you the. I can tell you the darkness. I can tell. I can tell you the overwhelming flow of despair and, and complete and just complete defeat. And then I, I remember God using scripture I had memorized earlier in life. And God began to use those scripture to build me up, to encourage me. But I remember those 911 moments. I remember when Pastor Rhonda left and packed all of her stuff. I remember that overwhelming feeling of depression and discouragement. So I think everybody can relate to a 911 moment in their life. I believe that we can all re relate to that. I thought about Abel in his 911 moment when he was murdered. Cain was not jealous of Abel's gift. Cain was upset that God didn't honor 
his gift. There are people in life, they're not uh, upset at what you're accomplishing. They're upset at the fact they know they should be accomplishing that. And when you do what you're supposed to be doing, it makes them upset. And that's why they put you down. That's why, they're, that's why they talk about you. You're trying to stay clean, trying to stay healthy, trying to stay married, trying to stay in line with what God. And, they, and your, some of your greatest opposition comes from your family are those that you love the most. And they're, they're not upset because you're successful. They're upset because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they're unsuccessful. When Abel got married, what the Bible says, his blood cried out from the ground and got the attention of God. Oh, that in my death, like the Apostle Paul, when that sword is removing his head from his body, the Bible says he was praying in tongues. And when his head went in that basket, his mouth was still moving. Even though there was no life in that brain, his mouth was still moving, praying in tongues. Oh, that I can accept death and walk that humbly and that fearfully before God. I think, I think about Elijah. In his 911 moment, he thought the queen was going to get him. He went and hid in a cave. I watch so many ministries when, there's a, when something comes against them, forgetting all the miracles they did, forgetting he just defeated 400 prophets of Baal. He goes and hides. I think about Moses in his 911 moment, feeding 4 million people, no water, got frustrated and struck the rock instead of spoke to the rock. And that disobedience did not allow him to go in the promised land at that particular time of his life. I think of Abraham when his 911 moment, when the, when the king saw Sarah and would have killed Abraham because she was so beautiful, Abraham lied and said, Sarah is my sister. It was a half truth. I think a lot of times we walk in half truths, half commitments, half, come on, ha- half, half promises to God. I think about Job that, that in his 911 moment, he lost 10 kids and he says, the very thing that I was afraid of has come to pass, yet will I praise God. He begins to turn around here. David in his 911 moment, the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Paul in his 911 moment, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. you can read it, talks about all the journeys, all the perils, all the robbers, all the shipwreck, all the stoning, all the beating, all the being without. And then he says, all that stuff and then taking care of all the churches. But yet in his 911 moment, he declares, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I am persuaded. I made it. I've got a made up mind. I don't care what happens. I'm not backing down, backing off, backing. I'm not giving up. That was Paul's attitude, his 911 moment. I think about the woman caught in adultery, her 911 moment. She had no hope. She had no grace. She had, she had no help. Yet God forgave her of her sin. I think about Isaac, that in his 911 moment in a famine, God told him to sow. So he sows and he brings out a harvest. I think about Hannah, Elizabeth, Sarah, Rachel, and Samson's mom. All of them without child did not know what to do. So Hannah makes a vow to God and says, God, if you're blessed with a son, I'll give it back to you. Samson's parents, if you're blessed with a son, will let him take the Nazarite vow. That in their 911 moment, they called out to God and God came to where they were and delivered them out of their miry clay. Oh, I'm preaching better than your way. That's okay. The last 911 moment I think of is the 911 moment of Jesus. When he's almost dead, he's already said, Father, forgive them. He's already taken care of his mom. And then he puts all of his weight on both feet against the pressure of that nail, fills his lungs up with air for the last time, and screams, declares at the top of his voice, to tell us die, to tell us die.
and then he dies. The word to tell us I translated in the Hebrew is it is finished. But translated in Italian, it has a whole different meaning. When the armies went to battle from an elevated position, the leader of the army would stand. And there he would have his armor bearers, and there he have his messengers. And he would watch the flow of the battle. He would send forth all the archers first, and they would rain on the enemy with arrows. Then sometimes the enemy would panic and run, or the, panic, or the enemy would regroup and come back, and then he would send his, his, his javelin throwers. They'd throw a thousand javelins at one time and pin many of the enemy to the ground. Sometimes the enemy would panic and run, or sometimes the enemy would regroup. Then he sent a thousand warriors on horses and chariots, and he would attack those that were trying to regroup. Then he would send the hand soldiers, and there they would battle. And as the enemy began to retreat from an elevated position, only the leader of the army could see, only the commander could see all of this. And when he saw that his wave of warriors were pushing back the front line, and he looked at the enemy line, and Brian, when he saw at the end of the enemy line, the enemy turning and running, giving up, dropping their swords, running, then that great captain, that great commander of the chief in perfect Italian would shout, Tetelestai, which meant it's finished. Guys, we have kicked butt. We have won. Take your sword one more time. Kill one more of the enemy because your enemy is running. You have been declared victorious. I think about Jesus, the captain of the Lord's host from the elevated position of Calvary, looked down through 2,000 years and saw the rapture of the church and saw saints resurrected from every tongue, tribe, kindred, and nation. And he said, it is finished, church. One more harvest, one more thrust, one more push. My 911 day, I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord who is greatly to be praised. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. Let him hear it. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so excited because I have next Sunday's message already prepared. <laughs> For the fun of it, because I did promise some things on Facebook, if you'll simply write down with me 11 letters, I want you to write it in a column form, and I want you to write it, recovery, all not just partial recovery not just semi-recovery but recovering of all next Sunday morning we're doing we're going to do an acronym on those 11 letters recovery and I'll give you a clue the first letter R simply represents recognize that God is in control and without him we can do nothing Everything we do depends upon the existence and the substance of God. And so next Sunday morning, I want to encourage you to bring somebody that needs this message of recovery. How to take back what the enemy has stolen. How to effectively use what the enemy has stolen. Listen, the enemy is a liar. And sometimes you'll be in a position if you've struggled, you've pushed. And a person comes to mind, be very careful what I say. But you've stood your ground. The enemy's cried to kill you. You're standing your ground. You're faithful. And then all of a sudden, you get a, you get a large surprise. You get a large financial statement. You get a settlement. And, and, and instead of taking that financial statement and, and walking maturely, you go right back to the vomit from which you were delivered from. The enemy is smart. Sometimes what you think is a blessing is a curse. Sometimes you think getting $10 an hour on Sunday is a blessing. 
you can, listen, you cannot pay for the past two hours. You cannot put a dollar amount on the praise and worship, the children dancing, the youth dancing, Pastor Bryce being ordained. You cannot put a dollar amount on the anointing of the elders in the altar. And I personally think this is a pretty dang good sermon. I don't, I don't know what it would, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm not asking you to put a dollar amount on it, but things happen in the corporate church that happen nowhere else. Don't you dare let the enemy preach a sermon. Your empty chair, that chair right there preaches a sermon right there. How many of you ever heard my sermon, the sermon of the empty chair? Where are you? Raise your hand. Okay, you guys don't come two weeks from now, and I'll preach that sermon again, the sermon of the empty chair. Put your hand over your heart. All that I have belongs to God. All God has belongs to me. I want to be all God wants me to be. I am a light in a dark place. I'm a, I'm a breath of fresh air. I am positive, not negative. I will make a difference in this society, in this environment, in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for allowing me to impart what I felt like that God has for us. I believe it got.